And we're joined now by Grant Fox. Grant, welcome to the program. I'd uh, rather have you on under happier circumstances, but, but such as it is, uh, I'd say devastating news, although he has been very unwell for some time now. Uh, it still doesn't soften that blow, does it, Grant? No, it's a sad day, Darst. Um, even though you know it's coming, because he has been, you know, gravely ill, you know, when you finally get the news, it hits you. I was on the golf course today walking between the seventh green and the eighth tee when I glanced at my phone and read an email from John Hart. And to be honest, I hit the next tee ball with a tear in my eye. Didn't hit it very well either. But And Andy loved his golf. But it just it was devastating news, you know, even though you knew it was coming. The guy like Andy Hayden, he's been quite divisive in his career because he's so front foot and he's so confident in his own opinion and he will stand up for it. Would that be a fair reflection of the way he's maintained his life to date from from what you've known? Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't call it divisive. I'd call him an advocate, Darth, um, because Andy Andy was a pioneer. Um, you know, he, he advocated for the professional game, uh, you know, well before its time. You know, he sort of flirted around the rules. He was always challenging. Um, you know, he fought for players' rights, um, you know, um, in terms of a, a not, not not even just a better deal from a monetary point of view in, in the amateur days, just, you know, a better treatment of players. He and his wife, Tricia, fought for, you know, the ladies so they could be much more included than they, than they, wore, than they were. You know, he was a pioneer of sports marketing in this country, you know, in terms of um, um, the marketing of... Uh, personalities around sport, um, you know, celebrities, Rachel Hunter comes to mind. So, you know, he, he that's why I, I wouldn't use the word divisive. I, I call him an advocate and a pioneer. Maybe I'm referencing uh, the top brass at the NZRU who maybe found him um, somewhat annoying at times when he stood up for what he stood for. Okay, challenging, there you go as well, yeah. But he didn't back away from his views, did he? Even though, I, I'm quite saying some of his views I, I didn't agree with, but I always had a good yarn with Andy Hayden. He was very good to me when I first started off at Radio Sport with his advice and his time he spent on the phone with me. But uh, he stood for what he stood for and he uh, wouldn't, yeah. um, wouldn't suffer fools no. beyond that. No, look, he was never afraid to fight for what he believed in. And, um, you know, even in the face of some adversity and pushback at times, you know, if he believed he was right and it was to the betterment um, for others, um, you know, he would stand his ground. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I had lots of discussions with Andy, you know, um, in, in a relatively recent years around All Blacks and all sorts of things around rugby. And, you know, they were often... They were debates. You know, there were never arguments. And, you know, we didn't always agree either. But, um, you know, I'd stand up for what I believed in and he'd stand up for what he believed in. He'd have robust debates. And you know, I always admired Andy for that because you never, you were, you know, you were never left wondering what he thought. Um, you know, and he was innovative, you know, around the game. He was very innovative, you know, for a guy who played in his era. He was always thinking of ways to, you know, for him to get better, how, how the team could get better, um, you know, from a strategy point of view, you know, tactical, you know, it's just a drive to succeed, a drive to win. Yeah, well, I, I spoke earlier today with Graham Murray, um, with Alan Wenton and with Murray Mexted, and they'll reflect that thought process later on in the hour, Grant. There's a very common theme around what people thought of Andy and how he operated. What about as a rugby player itself, just actually on the pitch and on the deck? Because I mentioned of some of our guests coming up, uh, he was terrifying to me as a Canterbury rugby fan when I was growing up in the 70s because his Auckland team basically destroyed us at will. He was probably a, a figure of, um, I, I suppose we didn't like him particularly down in the South Island because he was so good. Look, he was he was a colossus, um, you know, on, on the rugby field. 
a great leader. Um, but first of all, he demanded that he 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 played well himself. I mean, I can you know Andy was getting towards the end of his career when I started with Auckland, um, and I can remember vividly um, how demanding he was. Um, because he demanded of himself. I mean, I prided myself in getting to training early to, you know, go through my goal-kicking practice sessions. I couldn't beat him there. You know, I was 19 or 20, and he was, you know, mid-30s, and it was almost like, you know, we were challenging each other. Who could get there the earliest? I could never beat him. You know, you'd, you'd be training, and you'd be doing maybe kick-off practice with the forwards, and if I didn't put the ball in the right place, he wouldn't bloody chase it. He'd stop and say, do it again. Um, you know, and... and you know, that sort of attitude made us better. I mean, there's a famous uh, time that uh, doing line-out practice with a young John Fitzpatrick and Fitz, you know, really at that stage was struggling to hit a barn door. Well, Andy sent him away. Go down the other end, son, till you get it right. Ian Abercrombie, you come in here, you throw for a while. So, you know, you, you never let, you you, never, you always understood um, where, you know, um, where things were with him. But that relentless professionalism, that relentless attitude, um, inspired, and we all aspired to be like him um, in terms of the application to the game. So he, there's no doubt um, that he led us, and along with John Hart, they built something pretty special with Auckland, you know, in those early days. Um, and he was a big part of that legacy that was to come. Along with Hardy, they started something pretty special. Very, very special indeed. And he was leaned on as well outside of rugby later on in his career from All Black coach, All Black management, and indeed I believe Auckland as well on the Blues. He was always at the end of a phone line if anyone needed any advice or assistance or just opinion around what was going right or wrong. Yeah, he was always available. You know, I mean, Andy wasn't so much a guy who would ring you up to give you his opinion. Uh, that really wasn't him at all. He was a guy who, if you wanted a view, um, then Andy would uh, Andy would always be on the end of the phone uh, and be very happy to talk and you know espouse his views. And you might not always agree, um, but they were always very healthy debates. Um, so you know he 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 was a great, he was a lover of the game right up till the very end. Um, but and he contributed mightily. I mean, you know, I mean, if you just look at his record, he played 117 games for the All Blacks. 41 of those were tests. So, how times have changed. You know, I'm not very good at math, but the difference is in tour games. You know, over over a long period of time, he played 157 times for Auckland. You know, he captained that 85 Shield team. Um, I went on two All Black tours with him to Fiji in 1984 and Argentina in 1985. Um, you know, and, and Andy was just, uh, you know, he wasn't captain of those sides, but he was a massive influence um, on those around him, not just the young guys too, but the old guys. We all looked up to him um, because right till the end of his rugby career, uh, he was still trying to get better, you know, um, even as the body was maybe starting to struggle a little bit. He was still trying, trying to find ways to get better. You looked out to him both figuratively yeah. and literally. He, he was a big yeah. man. And, and in closing, Grant, as far as where he stands in, in the pecking orders of, of great all-black locks, he's, he's right up there with the best of them, isn't he? Oh, yeah, we've had a few in our time too. But um, he is, he, no doubt, he's in the pantheon of the greats, um, in my view. And he did that through, uh, you know, through longevity, because you know, I don't think you get greatness without longevity but also achievement um, because, you know, he was a performer, you know, at the highest level. I mean, there's always a, a little bit of a, uh, a bit of mirth around when, um, you know, Auckland were playing at Eden Park and we needed a big line out and the selectors were on, you know, one side of the field. You'd always know how to go to Andy at number two. Um, he'd call himself 
because when it was a big moment, he demanded of himself, oh, you know, and it was really just a mark of the man. He said, you know, I'll make sure that for the team, I win this ball. And the other thing I must say, that he was also a great family man, um, you know, and that shouldn't be missed in all of this. You know, we're going to talk about the rugby player, but, um, you know, he was a great family man, um, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, had, a, had a great wife and, and Tricia. Um, you know, two wonderful kids and Christopher and Laura, so and grandchildren. So um, we sh- we shouldn't forget that when we're talking about him, because you know, when, when it's all said and done, um, all the other stuff is great. But I think you know, you, you know what it's like, Darth, when you're being there. The thing that you actually most want to be is a great husband and father. And, and, and Andy can rest in peace that he was that. I don't think there's any doubt about that, Grant. That's a lovely way to end our conversation. Thanks very much for joining us on this on Saturday for New Zealand Rugby. Good on you, Foxy.